0: Welcome to another edition of Let Your Freak Flag Fly on 3CR Community Radio. got a bunch of different things for you today. Later on, I'm going to be chatting with Bridget Chappelle about their brand new album came out yesterday, playing a few tracks from that. I'm going to finish the show with a podcast from the Victorian Seniors Festival about decolonising museums. And right now I'm going to play a live recording made at the Make It Up Club on the 14th of June this year. This is Micah Wallace, Ian Downey and Spencer Page. This was engineered and recorded by Stevie Richards. You're listening to 3CR.
1: Accent to
2: women.
1: It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent to women. What a border! They don't see it
3: like a big wall right along the. How the can country? people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation
2: where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there, such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent to women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds On Community Radio 3CR
0: You're listening to Let Your Freak Flag Fly On 3CR Community Radio 855am 3cr.org.au And you've just been listening to a live recording Made at the Make It Up Club on the 14th of June this year A trio of Micah Wallace, Ian Downey and Spencer Page Up next, I'm going to play an interview that I did with Bridget Chappelle on Zoom about their brand new record, and then later we're going to hear a few tracks from that. So I'm joined by Bridget Chappelle today via Zoom, and we're going to talk about their new record that came out yesterday. It's called Angry Smiley.
1: Hi, Bridget. Hi, Nat. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for pronouncing my name and the album's name right. Yay. My <laughs> pleasure.
0: My pleasure. <laughs>
1: Such a silly name.
0: <laughs> and this record is out under another name of yours, Hex Tape. And mm. we'll link the Hex Tape Bandcamp uh, later in the interview and on the Freak Flag site on the 3CR website. But I want to talk about this brand new record. I'm mean, going play a bunch of tracks, starting with the title track, which is the title track the number one track called Angry Smiley? It's just like an emoji in my file list.
1: <laughs> yeah, or I guess it's technically an emoticon pre-emoji. Yes. Um, But I think, yeah, sometimes predictive text brings it up as the little evil smiling devil emoji, which I'm okay with. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the whole album is about The musicality of MRIs, one of the scans that you would receive in hospital for various things. And I suppose because the whole thing is meant to be a bit playful and celebratory of this incidental music that you didn't expect to hear in a machine, I just wanted the name to be a bit fun and silly as well. And yeah, kind of not get too bogged down in some of the like deeper complexities of why you might have an MRI, which you can kind of assume that if you're getting an MRI, there's something that's landed you in the scanner that may be a bit heavy or confronting. But what I was doing with this album was wanting to tease out the more kind of exciting aspects of getting one of these scans. I know that you've had them as well. Nah, but yeah, yeah, I've had a couple
0: I, and yeah, for yeah. kind of quite serious scary things and somehow mm. as someone who who lives in a sound world, I suppose we all live in a sound world. Um, <laughs> but especially with a percussion, you know, my percussion background and yeah. um I really really enjoyed both experiences. And I'm a little bit claustrophobic and I still really enjoyed it and I think that was in large part due to the sound, all those amazing mm. loops.
1: Yeah. Well, I would definitely classify an MRI scanner as a percussion instrument and it is like a real performance. I think that it's a very kind of coded performance environment um, that you go through to access this thing. Um, You know, like you have to go through all these hurdles just to kind of like get the proverbial ticket to the show, um, dealing with doctors and potentially you know like Medicare or Centrelink if you're trying to get it bulk build as well which can be a bit of a battle um, you may need to go to an obscure part of town to go get the MRI you may need to go at a strange hour of the day because they run the machine from very early in the morning into quite late at night and then you need to get undressed and take any metal out of your body that will go through the scanner as well because the scanner is at its heart a giant magnet so (laughs) you need to be careful what you're putting in it and yeah I'll never forget the first time that I had one of these no one had told me that it was going to sound like anything I mean they put headphones on you first but I really just thought it was going to be maybe just a very loud ambient sound of an engine rattling or something and what it actually is is something that to me sounded like somewhere between harsh noise and really intense Kind of industrial techno. I don't know how it um, how it's felt for you when you've had them. But the other really striking thing about it is that because you can't take metal in the machine and all kinds of materials is that you can't record the performance of sorts that the machine is giving you as well. So it's something that you need to really just kind of drink in in the moment and you know yeah if you're musically inclined maybe you're trying to commit it to memory so you can tell your friends about it afterwards and that was the real aspect of it that struck me because we are very keen on archiving everything in our culture like we have the luxury and the technology to kind of archive everything and I think some of that comes at the expense of our the muscles in our brain which work on memory I think and Again, if you're musically inclined, especially if you've kind of endured any classical or jazz training, but also if you come from like devotional music, a lot of it works from memory, which I think is a real strength. And it was something that I wanted to kind of lean into in trying to figure out how to access the sound of an MRI after I've left the scanner. I wanted to kind of treat it like an oral recitation that then I could try and re-perform afterwards on my own machines (laughs) like synthesizers but yeah it's a really fleeting and magical experience I think even though it comes you know it's a siren song it comes during this really stressful time so I suppose I went into it like that and I was really lucky that um, the Melbourne Brain Centre had agreed to have me as a visiting artist to help with the kind of core research of this thing which basically just looked like me coming in for the day and one of the brain scientists hosting me that day and letting me have heaps of scans and letting me try and stick a microphone in all these random places around the magnet room to try and catch sketches of the sound and ask her heaps of questions. And she, like, didn't self-identify as an artist, but she made so many interesting off-the-cuff remarks about, like, which patterns of the scan were her favorite sonically and things like that and I mean of course you'd have your favorites if you're working with this machine all day so that was a really really rich and generative experience that then was the groundwork for me to go and I had set the timing up so that immediately after my time at the brain center I'd be able to lock myself away at this artist's residency to record the whole thing because I thought that I'd be doing it all completely 100% from memory and I was lucky in that some of the zoom recordings that I was able to take from outside the magnet room did actually capture the sound which is um, kind of a bonus that I wasn't expecting so I had some rough notes to work off of as well but I had also been so submerged in MRIs that day and was able to kind of rekindle earlier memories of MRIs that yeah, it, it was then a really lovely process to go and sit down and try and recreate those sounds as faithfully as possible on my own instruments, but also to just try and recreate the the mood, the emotions and the journey of an MRI, because I think it would be an interesting uh, exercise for me, technically, just to try and remember the sound of an MRI and then try and recreate it on like an MS-20 or a microcorg or some other synth, but It's not that interesting to listen to, right? And I wanted to explore more kind of fanciful ideas beyond that. One of the ways that the MRI machine works and full disclosure, I still don't actually really understand how they work. (laughs) That was my next question. (laughs) I'm, I'm like, yeah, not a brain scientist or a physicist and I'm lucky that I've got to spend a little bit of time around those people, but I'm definitely still not one of them. And so I sort of, understand the periphery of these things but yeah I still don't actually understand how they work but what I do know is that there's this huge electromagnetic force field created in the room from the giant magnet and then there is a radio frequency field that is also active in the same space that they turn on and those two fields interact with one another which is what creates the resonant scanning of of whatever body or object is placed inside the scanner. And the sounds that you actually hear are from the coils of the magnet expanding and contracting. But anyway, something that I found really interesting was this presence of the radio frequency field as well. And I, like you, have an interest in radio and, you know, it's kind of community applications and ways that it can be used in lots of aspects. I suppose in recent years I've been a bit interested in pirate radio and experimented with that a bit. And I was also being told accounts as I worked on this project by other people who had received MRIs, many of whom actually just listen to the radio when when they go in for a scan. I would always say to the technician, please don't give me any music over the top because I just want to hear the scanner. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes It's sometimes a bit of a like back and forth that you have to do to make sure that they won't play like gold FM or something at you over the top. Of I guess this. it
0: must be quite confronting yeah.
1: for some bodies and some
0: yeah. sets of ears and both Absolutely. times I, I feel like they've taken a great deal of care to make sure that I am not overwhelmed yeah. orally.
1: Yeah totally I well yeah I'll come back to that as well because it's an interesting point but um Yeah, I was hearing accounts from people about the ways that the presence of a radio station actually adds to the sonic experience because the radio can't drown out the sound of the the magnetic coils because they're really damn loud. And so that got me thinking about what if there were these secret radio stations that you can only hear inside the MRI and so I was kind of then waving those narratives into the album as well and it was actually quite a useful compositional tool because I'm trying to draw together pretty disparate genres like classical cello and like jungle and and techno and stuff um and having this kind of overarching theme of a magical world inside an MRI scanner and the whole thing is waved together with you know like radio distortion and samples from the MRI was really handy. <laughs> but what I was going to say about that factor of care when you go in for an MRI is something that I found a new appreciation for on this day at the Brain Centre, um, watching uh, back the brain scientist who was overseeing this, this research facility with an MRI and so you have people coming in for clinical studies um and get getting MRIs and watching the way that these brain scientists and you know like brain science is like synonymous with the height of like logic and what you you know like really like kind of cold logical intelligence in quotation marks and it was really illuminating seeing how much careful emotional work that would normally be gendered in as like feminine work of like looking after someone and making sure that they're comfortable and making sure that they feel comfortable enough to stay still in a scan because that's how you get the best data from from these you know experiments that you're running um and how much I don't know. I, I felt like it was so obvious as soon as I watched it happen. Um, this like extreme kind of emotional and social labor that you do to get a, a test subject to, to sit still in this big, scary machine. Mm. But I was and like, someone wow, who's in pain that... as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I was like, wow, why, why hasn't that been, been talked about? <laughs> yeah. Or adopted in many, many other settings would be nice. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's, It's been like a nice celebration of something that also, yeah, MRIs have presented themselves at like quite stressful times in my life, but the MRI feels like a bit of an olive branch, an invitation to heal my relationship with a body that, yeah, could be like categorized as disabled or one experiencing like chronic illness that, you know, it's really easy to get frustrated with. And, of course, a lot of the time you're just thinking about its limitations and it's quite nice to have, you know, just 45 minutes in this machine that creates this one-off, wild musical experience for you from magnets interacting with your own injured body. So cool. Yeah, We're
0: going to hear the first track from this record now, Angry Smiley from Bridget Chappell, a.k.a. X-Tape, not X-Tape. That's something else. <laughs> and
1: where can our listeners check out this record, Bridget? So it's on the Power Trip Bandcamp. Um, Power Trip is the label um, based here in Nam that's putting it out. PowerTrip2.bandcamp.com. Awesome. And I will link to that
0: on the 3cr.org.au slash flag site. Bridget Chappelle, thank you. Thanks so much, Nat. Angry smiley. Bridget Chappelle, hex tape. You're listening to 3CR. You're listening to Let Your Freak Flag Fly on 3CR Community Radio, and I've been playing a couple of brand new tracks from a brand new record from Hextape. It's called Angry Smiley. It's out on Power Trip, and I will link to this Bandcamp release on the 3cr.org.au/freakflag site. We're going to hear a couple more from this now.
3: It's too late whenever we talk the catastrophe crashes <laughs> frequencies coming to and to <laughs> Radio, 3CR.
2: Yeah, join me at eleven every Friday for some black and deadly sound. Three CR Community Radio 855 on the AM dial. Voice of the
0: People, You're listening to Let Your Freak Flag Fly on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM 3CR.org.au. And we're going to finish the show today by listening to a podcast which was created as part of the Victorian Seniors Festival this year about a project called Museum Undone. A Playful Encounter with the Kyneton Museum Collection, engaging with history and its gaps. Part performance, part exhibition. Created by cross-disciplinary artists and Metanoia Theatre, the work was an immersive choose-your-own-journey through collective possibilities for an imagined future. The podcast features an interview with one of the creators of this work, Gurkham Adjaralu, and music and sound design by Kiri Bookla.
2: A shadow can emerge from the dark. It can chase you. In folklore and pop culture, shadows come to life. They are malevolent beings that try to control the people they reflect. Shadows are not white. I can be in the shadow of someone or I can shadow someone. I can be lured into the shadows, foreshadowed, overshadowed. When an object is lit, it casts a shadow. The shadow is intrinsic to the object. Though the shadow has no substance, it is inextricably linked to the object as evidence that the object was in the limelight, in the right place at the right time. Surely it is the right time to redirect the light. My name is Gary Kamajarulu and I'm a Turkish Australian theatre maker and interdisciplinary artist. I've been making various forms of performance for about 25 years. I originally started in Sydney and uh, moved down to Melbourne and now I'm based in the Macedon Ranges. About uh, 15 years ago I think I came to to Victoria. All of my work has been exploring the, I suppose, the Australian identity to kind of explore notions of the Australian self. And that particularly comes, I think, from my own experiences as being a child migrant to Australia and having a kind of mixed-race background and understanding things from very different perspectives, from a Turkish perspective and from an Australian perspective. And in terms of the form of my work, it's really, there's a whole range of different forms that I've worked in. So I've created traditional theatre with scripts and and playwrights and so on, but also what really I'm passionate about is new forms and forms that are site-specific and immersive, I've also worked a lot with documentary materials, so I, I'm really interested in the the line between fact and fiction, the real and the unreal, the imagined. And I've worked also with digital technologies quite a lot, with robotics and uh, motion capture technologies, uh, again exploring that sort of border. Uh, I think the border is something that I'm really interested in. Museum Undone was an interdisciplinary performance project that took place at the Kyneton Museum in the Macedon Ranges. And we were working with a team of artists from a range of backgrounds who all engaged with the museum's collection and the collection was really a colonial collection. It was set in the house of a bank manager, the museum itself is. So the collection really reflects the lifestyle of that bank manager from the 1840s, around that time, in a, you know, in a gold rush region. And the museum leaves out a lot of stories. So what we were hoping to do was to uncover a lot of those gaps in the, in the narrative of the history of the time and to talk about or reflect those hidden or, or erased or unrecognised narratives. So we brought that to life through performances and installations and soundscapes, as well as some videos. So when the audience arrived, they were put into three groups and they each had a guide and the guide took them on a journey through the inside and outside of the museum where they engaged with the performance works that kind of emerged out of the collections. And each audience member, depending on which group you were in, had a different experience. So a different experience in terms of the way that the, the different pieces juxtaposed amongst themselves and juxtaposed with one another. So the audience each had a different immersive experience. They were inside the museum. They were almost part of the collection in a lot of the instances. Sometimes performances just emerged. Other times they were, audiences were asked to p- position themselves in certain places. It was a sort of an, an immersive experience but it was also a journey so the audience physically walked and moved through the spaces. It was also in the middle of winter, it was at night, it was cold so it, there was a kind of, I suppose, an eerie otherworldliness that was created by the the space, being in a museum, a small town museum in, um, late at night uh, had that kind of eerie quality to it. So hopefully it positioned audiences into a, a place of... Familiarity and defamiliarity at the same time, and gave them a, a whole new perspective on something that they potentially felt like they knew really well. Sarum Sa Binsad is a First Nations artist, an incredible dancer, performer, has a whole range of different talents. And it doesn't come from that country himself, so he comes from Broome. But we worked closely with the Tangarung traditional owners and we were working with Uncle Dennis Batty, who is a Tangarung um, man, and he, he was our consultant and advised us uh, throughout the whole work. So Sam's, I worked closely with him as well in terms of the stories, but he really wanted to bring out the Atmosphere and feeling for a First Nations person, you know, from his own perspective, engaging with that material, what the museum actually makes him feel, and this is a story that many First Nations people that we spoke to expressed the same sort of sentiment of coming into these museums and feeling very claustrophobic, erased, and you know, many other words like that. So, so I was bringing that sort of experience to light through three performance pieces. One of them, he actually situated himself within a cabinet and emerged from that cabinet. He engaged with the only section of the museum's collection that actually had artefacts, and I think there was like three artefacts. And so he worked in that space that had had those artefacts and engaged with the atmospheres and objects of that place. And then he also worked in a site that was, it's called the Mystery Room. The the museum actually calls it the Mystery Room because they don't know whether it was used as a morgue, as a chicken coop or as a jail. And it has a very strange sort of feeling, this place, this very sort of small bluestone hut, if you like. And he created a piece there which was engaging with his totem, the owl, and he was working through a performance piece there and he also created a piece which was there's a diorama set up in the upstairs part of the museum which is the dining was the old dining room and there was a kind of a soundscape in that piece that was sounded like a governor or so maybe the bank manager we're not sure having a conversation with his guests at a dinner party and Saramsar seated himself at that table as if he was had been invited to attend that dinner and he had the sort of outfit of the, you know, the, the colonial sort of outfit where he was eating a meal that eventually suffocated him and he had to kind of rip off all, all, the, all of that context. And underneath we really saw a man in chains and it was quite a powerful piece. So it, all of the works that he was engaging with were, were about around that sort of erasure and, and the atmospheres. Here, Sir Henry, at the right hand of Mrs. Weigel, who, as I have yet to bring a wife to grace my household, has kindly agreed to be our hostess for the night, and who will later entertain us on the pianoforte.
3: Yeah.
2: To her majesty, our gracious sovereign Queen Victoria, ruler of the empire, and her own fair colony, Victoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to her representative is Excellency Sir Henry Berkeley. It now have General. been a multinational
3: continuum across all species.
2: we will all partake in a distributed idea of humanity. We won't have started from the uncritical centrality of humans. We will have done it for no reason. We will have done it for the love of the world. We will have heard the cosmic buzz of insects. We will have been in this together. We will have taken the museum and enlarged it. in the living and the dead. We will have been embodied and embraced. There will have been moments of euphoria. We will have been burnt out and fatigued.
3: We will not have got enough sleep.
2: We worked with Kiri Buchler, who was the sound designer, incredible sound designer, and she worked individually with each of the artists who each created approximately three pieces. So she created three distinct pieces of soundscape for each. I don't know how many that was in the end. It was a lot of of pieces she created. And what was incredible about each piece is that they... Each piece really engaged with the distinct, unique perspective and story that that piece was telling. So all of the pieces are very different, but at the same time there's a whole cohesiveness throughout the work. Sound was predominantly one of the main audio features of the work. There weren't a lot of spoken word pieces, so a lot of the performers we worked with were dancers or chose to do a very physical piece that wasn't really about language, although we did have language. So sound really became a very key feature of the whole thing and and really helped to create that otherworldliness and to put people into a kind of meditative state and to take them on a journey, I think. One of the artists that worked on the project, Maddie Moser, is a Tungurung uh, young woman, and she created all the graphic works around the space as well as some video pieces. She created one concept in the first room, the room that had some First Nations objects in that room. She created a massive graphic hole in the ground and played with the idea of First Nations people disappearing or reappearing out of that hole. She also worked on some of the signage that was around the museum and changed the stories. So while the signs had previously been talking about farm equipment and those sorts of things, she spoke about the land and its significance. And that the signs looked exactly as they had been, so I'm, I'm not sure how many people noticed those. And then she created a number of video works that were projected on the outside buildings and created yeah an atmosphere for the outside areas obviously the first nations story was almost completely excluded. As I said, there were a few objects, but other than that, that was excluded. There was a large map on one of the walls, which sort of showed the timeline of Australian history. And this is a, you know, this is a piece that is in one of our galleries somewhere. And the element of the First Nations part of the history was just this sort of blank space with a couple of people, you know, with a spear. And then the the actual history was populated with many many men <laughs> from the 1700s onwards. So that was kind of the only representation. So that was one of the key, obviously, stories that was left out. And then the that area is a gold mining area, so there was a lot of Chinese people who came to mine the regions. And particularly, our artist Jeanette Ho, who engaged with that narrative, wanted to to look at the female. Chinese perspective and what that story was and because that was an even more erased narrative in that area. another one of our performers, she also engaged with, generally, with the female perspective. She was looking at what it meant to be a woman in that era. She herself is an Indian-Malaysian woman, and so she was engaging... In a way, she was engaging with the all-female perspective, the all-women's perspective, but because of who she was or is, it created a narrative of the women that are usually left out when we talk about the women that have been left out, and that created many layers, I think, to that story. There were other elements that were used to engage with the the collections and some of the narrative that the museum used to describe itself, to how it talked about the middle classes and how it spoke about the people and their objects, the people of, of that era, so... So this was a really unusual project for the museum. The museum is run and owned by Masson Rangers Shire Council and they were a great supporter of the project. They really embraced it and they wanted this work to occur and if it wasn't for them we wouldn't have been able to do the work I think it did pose challenges for the staff that work in the museum every day because it was so unusual and something really not actually to do with the content at all because they were very supportive of the content it was actually just about having a performance work in their collection and, and what the requirements were for that and the amount of time we needed to be there and engage and really change everything from their literally the desk that the staff used we had to you know move everything and change everything in order to create this other experience but At the end, they were very happy, I think, with the work and really supportive. A lot of the work that I've been interested in has been around decolonisation and anti-racist or anti-racism. So presenting works that kind of challenge the historical legacy of colonisation and and white supremacy and whiteness in an Australian context. So that was always a kind of, you know, starting point for a lot of my work, but the museum Metanoia Theatre now is in the Maston Ranges and we're based there, so this site itself presented a really interesting challenge to unpack some of that context that I just mentioned with that actual site. So it sort of started with that idea, It was really interesting. We had a really wide-ranging audience. They were small audiences each show, so it was only about 30 to 40 people each show. And unfortunately we were only able to do it over one weekend when we'd planned to do it over four weekends across, um, but because of lockdowns, we couldn't. We had a lot of local people obviously. We had a lot of uh, museum attendees that wouldn't normally come to a performance work that are friends of the museum or go to the museum, you know, often. And then we had people coming from Melbourne because they were interested in this sort of experience and this event, you know, in a beautiful part of, of the country. So it was quite a wide-ranging audience, and I have to say that. Almost exclusively, as far as I know, <laughs> the, the experience was, I think people found it quite a remarkable event because it was really about creating a different experience in a place that, as I said earlier, might feels familiar, but to put them in a position of seeing it almost for the first time and creating another world. So I think generally audiences felt that and experienced that. And for people who don't necessarily see performance or theatre works much, it's quite an unusual experience because it's immersive and you're moving through the works. In that way it was quite accessible I think because it it didn't have the kind of the strictures of, you know, go to a show and sit down in a in a theatre venue that can sometimes feel alienating for people. Museum Undone was really an invitation to audiences to ask questions about how they want to be remembered. So in this museum, there's a story being told about the history of Australia, and we wanted people to look at that story and think about themselves now. How In 160 years or so, how would they like to be remembered for today? What are the stories that could be lost might not be told and how do they want to contribute to ensuring that a true history is told of the contemporary. So working with a museum really enabled that uh, question for audiences and and gave them that space to to think about that. One of the things that I'm really interested in in my work is the the shadows or those things that aren't in the light. So the things that aren't really being given the limelight and that can be with perspectives and stories but also with the people whose stories or perspectives they are. So those, in an Australian context, I think that's a lot of people who come from diverse cultural backgrounds, obviously First Nations people. <coughs> people who have narratives and stories that don't fit with the main mainstream so I think the thing that interests me about shadows is that you can't have the thing in the light without the shadow so the shadow is an integral part of what's in the light and in a way it enables they are connected they can't be separated so I'm interested in that rather than The periphery, or the things that we consider irrelevant and unnecessary, like a shadow, the things that we don't look at, I think are sometimes the most interesting, the most vibrant, and the most poetic. So that's why I'm interested in what's in the shadows. (laughs) My wish for the future, for a future Australia, is that we are a truly diverse nation. That's my first and foremost (laughs) wish, that Australia really recognises the diversity that we always market ourselves on. But the reality of the day-to-day is unfortunately not an inclusive society, but in the future I do hope that it will be and that will be led by a diverse range of people with diverse range of perspectives and we'll be able to express that through you know, all our forms of art and be able to see ourselves represented as the truly diverse nation that we are in all forms of representation.
0: listening to the Victorian Seniors Festival. Thank you to Gurkham Ajaralu, Kiri Bukla and the cast of Museum Undone for sharing this experience with us today. This radio program was recorded at 3CR Community Radio and produced by the Seniors Festival radio production team, creative producer Nat Grant, technical director Nikki Stott and post-production director Michele Veshaw. For more information about the festival and to hear more episodes like this one, visit SeniorsOnline.com www.vic.gov.au